we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to do this as a doctrinal study, but I also want to bring this as a practical how to live out and walk in the Spirit of God. And I know that we only have uh, about 45 minutes to get through this, and then we're going to get into our discussion time. So I want to make sure that we have plenty of time for that. So I'm not going to hit everything in your notes. Some of the things I just put in there <clears throat> so that you have it and that you can go back and study later, or I might, uh, I might just kind of uh, touch on some of the verses and things like that. At the beginning of it, I gave you some of the terms, but we're going to get into those and explain those things as we get into them. And then we've got our scripture verse. But the questions that we're going to answer tonight, what is the Trinity? Not that we're studying all parts of the Trinity, but what is the Trinity? What is there? Who is the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the Spirit of God? And what does the Spirit of God do in our personal lives? Uh, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit of God? And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Those are the questions that we'll answer tonight. So we start off with what is the Trinity? And I know a lot of us grew up in church, and you've heard the illustrations of the Trinity being displayed as the triune God or the three parts of the Godhead combined in one of the description of the Trinity. And sometimes it can be really hard to wrap our minds around the fact that God is three and one. So how many of you, when you were kids or growing up, or you've done this yourself, where you taught the illustration of the egg, that there's three parts in one? Okay, how about water? You've heard that illustration. It's, it's, it's a solid, a liquid, and a vapor, but it's all the same thing. Uh, I, I like using the illustration even when I've taught kids and stuff, the perspective of, uh, of my view of my kids with me. It's like in one minute I'm playing the role of a pastor. I'm also a husband, but I'm also a, a dad. And so it's, it's three in one. But let me tell you, none of those illustrations do justice to the magnitude of what the Trinity is. Amen. There's no way. And, and I think for sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the concept that God is three in one that we stand in all of it. Or say, I could never wrap my mind around it. That's exactly the way that it is. You can't. Do you know why? Because we're talking about God. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about God. It, it's like going to the Grand Canyon and trying to snap a picture. You're like, I took it from this angle, and I took it from this angle, and I went back and took it from there, and I couldn't get it all. And, and that's how the study of God is. There's no way. And even for us to understand it, we have the Trinity to help us understand how it's broken down and, uh, for, uh, for us to understand. And so the Trinity that, that explains to us that there is only one God, okay? We don't worship three gods. There is only one God. First Timothy 2.5 explains that, for there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But the one God is made up of three parts. We see this even from the beginning of time. Uh, the, the word in the beginning, God, the word God right there is plural. And you don't understand that. You can't see that all the time unless you're looking at the Hebrew behind it. But that word Elohim in that aspect is, is plural, uh, signifying that it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit of God that is there. Now, here's what makes it a little complicated. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Heavenly Father is God. But Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There are three separate entities. And so we've kind of got the chart in there to help you understand that. But in Scripture, the Bible would describe the three different parts of the Trinity, but then working together. One example of this that we can see all three parts is the baptism of Jesus. It says in Matthew 3.16, And Jesus, so we've got one part, was baptized, and went up straightway out of the water. Lo, the heavens opened up and said unto him, 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. There's the Holy Spirit and the lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven. There's the Heavenly Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The three parts of the Trinity have different roles or ta- uh, tasks, but they all work in unison together. So you've got the Father, okay? And I'm just going to run through this because I know this is a study on the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Father, which is the Elohim, the creator, the author, the ruler. He's, he's in, shown in Scripture as the ultimate cause and controller of the universe. He's seen in divine revelation. He's, he spoke through the prophets. He's the author of salvation. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. All of that is description of our Heavenly Father. And we've got the Scriptures to back that up. But we also have the Son. The Son is the agent through whom Jesus or, or God the Father works to perform the mission of God. The creation and maintenance of the universe, divine revelation and salvation. The Father does all these things through the Son who functions as his agent. And so we see different illustrations of this. But the greatest one is salvation. And that's John three sixteen. God sent him into the world to die for us. Sent by the Father died on the cross through Jesus Christ to show his love for us. I preached on signing. I was talking about how, how do we know the love of the Father? Well, the love of the Father was manifested through Jesus Christ. That's how we see it. it was made flesh. Then we have the Holy Spirit. This is our focus for the evening. And I'm going to tell you guys, this is complicated when we get in the Holy Spirit of God because it gets so twisted between beliefs and denominations. So that's why if we do a study, I just give you scripture to go along with it. I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, the Baptist belief is this. Well, I'm going to just point you to the Bible because the Bible is our authority for everything. The Holy Spirit is the means by which the Father does the following works. Creation and maintenance of the universe, divine revelation, salvation, Jesus' work. The Father does all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have this in John 16, 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. It says in verse 14 that he's going to glorify me, glorify the Father. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. So I want, I, I want to talk about the Spirit of God. Because you know what? Every single day we are called to walk in the Spirit of God. Right. Say, so what does that mean? Well, that's why we want to take this time to illustrate this to you. When the disciples were with Jesus, they walked every single day with them, guided him, taught them, loved them, comforted, gave them peace. They were constantly with, the, with, with Jesus. He said, I'm going to leave. And then in that passage, he says, I give unto you another comforter. Literally, just like tag team. Okay, Jesus stepped out, the Holy Spirit came in. That's how we can say today when Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We're never without the presence of God because we have the presence of the Spirit of God living in our lives. So let's study the Spirit of God tonight. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He has always existed. I've heard it said and people have had the thinking that the Holy Spirit was introduced in the New Testament. Okay, no, He is God. He's always been. Let me show you some of these parts of this. The Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's always been. The Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Right. You, you think about it. God the Father is speaking the words of creation, how the Spirit of God began to work and move and form and create. Working in unison as we see this. We also see it when he created man. And God said, let us make man in our own image. 
Why is he saying that? It was the triune God all the way from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit empowered people of the Old Testament. Now, this was different. They did not have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. That was until after Jesus Christ came and paid for our sins. But they did have the presence of the Spirit of God. Guys, you know how special it is the fact that we have the dwelling of the Spirit of God inside of us today? And and some people are like, well, I wish I was in the Old Testament doing that. Man, God has blessed us in such a great uh, way in the dispensation in which we live. But we have different stories about in in 1 Samuel 10.10, when he said, and the Spirit of God came upon him and the prophesies among them. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come down and work. He would would put his presence on there. They would be anointed to preach or anointed to do. A great illustration of this was like Samson, how he rose up in power to be able to do what no no, no other man could possibly do. The Spirit of God did that. We talked about this last week. The Spirit of God gave them special revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and, uh, Pastor Matt talked about this. But holy men of God spake as they were moved. How? With the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you guys, how did Moses write Genesis? He wasn't there. I mean, think about it. He wasn't there, but the Holy Spirit of God was at work. The Bible explains that, and that's how we have that divine revelation, inspiration of Scripture that was given to us. The Holy Spirit of God is the presence of God with us. And this is what we were talking about a minute ago when Jesus was returning to his Father And he says, I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he might abide with you forever. There's so much teaching of that we could get in that. We could talk about eternal security and how we're sealed by the Spirit of God and all those things. But it says in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. See, the word Comforter means an intercessor. It's a consoler. He's an advocate. He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the comfort of the Spirit of God, which is the presence of God with us. How can we face problems and issues today? Because we have God with us. The verse that I say quite often when I'm preaching and I'm counseling is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. We have that. But this is where we start getting into the application of this. Talk about how is it that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? Well, who is the church? Well, we are the church. Well, I'm telling you, we're just flesh and blood. There's nothing about me that, the, that Satan can come against and, and, and there's no power that I have, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So we start beginning to talk about the power of God that is with us. When we speak of God working, we're talking about the spirit of God working. It's not the talents of man. It's not the, the, it's not the funds of people. It's not all these things that make things happen. It is the spirit of God. So excited about teaching this, and I promise you I'm going to try to teach this without preaching this, but it's, it, is, it is so fun to get into. Let me get to the beginning and kind of help you understand who is the Spirit of God. Look again at the first mention of Scripture, and, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. It moved upon the face of the waters. That, now, if you've ever heard me speak on the Spirit of God, I've explained this in the past, that, that word right there is the word ruach, okay? I put this in there. It's a spirit, which means that it's a wind. It's the, it's the resemblance of breath. It is a blast of air. It is, it is this, this move. If you're seeing the Spirit of God and you're saying the Spirit of God's working, it's the description of like what you would see if you were outside and you saw the wind blow the trees. 
You cannot see it, but you know there's a power presence in order to do that. And that's why the Bible constantly is given that illustration of what that is. It's something you can't see. In Genesis, the, the, the Spirit of God was working and forming the earth and forming man, described as a wind or the breath of God or this powerful energy that moves. The Spirit of God is present. It will have an impact. The Spirit of God is working. It will have an impact. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, we're really familiar with some of these scriptures, but let's kind of tie them together. But you shall receive what? Power. Power. And I don't let that get to your head, okay? Then walk out of here as a superhero, whatever. It, it is all about the glory of God. And I'm telling you, there's some people that get on stages and do all this stuff, and I'm like, whoa, dude, it's not about you. It's all about the glory of God. It is all about God. You shall receive power after what? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is God working in us. Well, let's, let's talk about the power that comes from God working in us. It is dunamis power. It's this same word that we talk about that, that rose Jesus from the dead. Okay, it is a force. It's miraculous power. It is strength. That is how the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And, and this is where the, I, I get tempted to want to preach Churches have nothing without the Spirit of God. Amen. Nothing. And if the Spirit of God is not working in a service or working in your family or working even in a lesson like this, it's dead. You, you can have talents and abilities and crowds and logos and graphics and all this stuff, but it is dead without the moving of the Spirit of God. It, that, that's why this passage is talking about it. it is the force. It is the miraculous power. It is the strength. So what does that we are under attack today, and I feel like so often we're losing the battle left and right. You say, why is that? Why are churches closing? Why are more people being saved? Why, why is sin creeping into churches? I promise you, it's not because the Spirit of God has lost its power whatsoever. It's because we quench the Spirit of God. Amen. We'll get into that when we start talking about walking in the Spirit you want to see a change in the spiritual condition of our kids or in our lives or in our marriages, then it takes the power of God, which is the working of the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of God right here. And it started in the book of Acts. And I know I'm going to give you a passage, but there's no way I could get into this and skip over this because this passage right here has caused so much confusion in churches. But I want to give you just what it was. it was. It was a symbol. It was the law of first mention. It was the introduction, okay? Like ringing a bell. May I present to you now the Spirit of God coming to the church to do its work, okay? So in the, suddenly that the disciples were in the upper room. Jesus had already ascended up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. They went to the upper room, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. Now, this is a descriptive thing. It's, it's, it's giving this descriptive. And it's, it's the Ruach of God. It's, it's the wind. It's as a mighty Russian wind. It's, it's putting it in a level for us to be able to visualize what's going on. And it filled the house where they were sitting. When God shows up, it changes the atmosphere. Now, now, now we're not trying to crave for the introduction of the Spirit of God or a replica of this event but it is giving us an example of what was going on when the Spirit of God moved in, showed up, and the presence of God was there. In verse 3, And there appeared unto them, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. It's a simile. It's a comparison. It's a visual. He's drawing a picture. I talk about that all the time. A lot of the things that we talk about in the Bible, God wants us to get it. 
The, the cross was a visual that the wages of sin is death. You say, what did it cost? What was the payment of it? Every time we see a cross, we've got a visual. It's a painted picture for God to say, this is a reminder. This is a visual of what it was. It was assembly here. It was, uh, it was, it was a comparison using like as or as, as fire that sat upon them. It was, it was personal with each one of them. It's individual lives, God working. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues. What was the other tongues that they began to speak with? They began, well, if you keep reading the whole passage right there, they went out and began to preach the gospel and every man heard in their own language. And again, that gets so misunderstood, but just read it in context of what we're talking about. Why was that? In that passage, why was that happening? For the furtherance of the gospel. That's it. He said, when Jesus gave them the commandment, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they were like, well, we don't know all the languages. God said, I'll take care of that. He had a plan. He says, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven um, as a mighty Russian wind. What, what, what is that? Another description. The Ruach of God, mighty Russian wind, the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and it filled the house where they were sitting. But let me show you. And it sat on them as fire. What is fire? Again, you shall receive power. It's another description. It's a visual of that. And, and God is just pointing this picture out to us. It represents the Spirit of God. It represents the power of God. And the Bible describes for our God as a consuming fire. See, fire changes the atmosphere. Fire illuminates the darkness. Fire pushes back the darkness. It changes things. And I, I've preached on this before. If you've been in our church for any length of time, you have a fire burning somewhere, and you, you can't get around it and not notice it, especially when it's in a cold world. It changes the atmosphere. When the Spirit of God is in your life, you'll know it. When the Spirit of God is in your church, you'll feel it. It brings peace. It brings change. It changes the hearts of man. It, it does what only God can do. So understanding the Holy Spirit is the name of this lesson and his power in your life. So let's talk about all of those things in your life. Like I said, we're, we're talking about becoming followers of Jesus Christ, becoming discipleship deep dive. We, we want to teach you how to be de devoted followers of Jesus Christ. How did we receive the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit of God does this work in our lives. The Holy Spirit draws the unbelievers to Christ. Let me explain this to you guys. Before you met Christ, let me give you your description. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Do you know how much good works a dead person can do? I mean, you think about that. That's the description. It's like, I'm working. I'm trying to get. I'm, are you going to heaven? I'm working really hard. Dead people can't do anything. Dead men don't grab. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it says, no man can come to me. Except the Father which has sent him, and I, I draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It, it, it's it's explained that the Spirit of God draws the believer to Jesus, or the unbeliever to Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not in me. Here, here's the thing, and, and just guys hear me out. When it comes to the work of the Spirit of God, we don't talk people into salvation. Amen. Never. We're getting ready for vacation Bible school. Anybody that's going to deal with kids, just so you know, we don't win souls to Christ by talking them into salvation. 
We don't have them repeat after me. I'm not saying that we don't coach them through prayers. But I've had people say, well, all, you want to go to heaven? All you have to do is say this prayer. We have to allow the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and minds. The Bible is very clear in Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's with the heart. It's not with just the mouth. It's with the heart. We must respond to the conviction of God. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ pulls us to him, opens our eyes, shines the light, convicts us. Actually, in a, in a, let me give you a great illustration. How many of you remember the day that you got saved when you got under conviction? Raise your hand. So every one of you has a story right now. I, I remember being in a camp meeting in, in Resaca, Georgia, halfway back in the, middle, in the middle section, being under conviction, and this, something came over me and pulled me. To, I, I knew I was lost. I knew that I had to get out of that seat. I knew when they came up and talked to me at the altar, I said, why are you here? And I said, I need to be saved. I was 16 years old, grew up my whole life in church, but that day was different. It wasn't different because of what the pastor said. It wasn't different because of the group that I was in. It was different because that day the Spirit of God shook me and opened my eyes. The Spirit of God convicts our hearts, and that's where true transformation comes. I'm trying not to preach right now. I'm really trying not to preach. But I'm telling you, put your kids under the Word of God, and I promise you it will not return void. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what convicts and changes their hearts. But if you're going to get desperate and just say, I'm trying to lead them to Christ by lecturing them all the time, there's no power in my words. There's power in his words. Let's keep going. The Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the family of God. This is a spiritual baptism. That's why we have the, the, the definition at the beginning, baptism to dip, to immerse, to cover, it's not necessarily talking about the water baptism. The water baptism is the physical thing we do to demonstrate salvation. Same way that I wear a ring. This ring doesn't mean that I'm married. The vows that I made at the altar means that I'm married. And sometimes we get wrapped up in the physical act of things rather than the, the heart issue that took place when we got saved. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me throw in a term to help you guys understand. We're going to get into the doctrine of understanding regeneration of how God makes us new for the spirit of, of the spirit for one spirit are all baptized into one body for by one spirit. And so God does this thing. When we get saved, we are, we are literally immersed into the family of God by the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God gives life or regeneration like I was saying, we were dead in our trespasses of sin. And the Bible says that you were dead, literally meaning that there's nothing you can do. The, the Spirit of God regenerates. It means to give new life. You have new life because of what Jesus Christ did in your life. That act, that work was paid for on the cross, and the work was done through the regeneration of the Spirit of God. They work together. It's powerful. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Works of righteousness would also include baptism. If you say you're going to add to it, it's not, that's, a, that's a work that we would do. It's nothing you do. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, not the washing of baptismal waters. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Because of this, you are not the same. Christians are Christ-like. Christians are raised to walk in newness of life. 
We are not the same. Because of this, the Spirit of God makes us alive in Christ. It says you need to reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. And God does this work where the Spirit of God now dwells in believers. This is, this is so powerful. The Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Do you know how powerful that is? You know how, what a change that is, is the fact that I walk every single day with the presence of God in my life. And you say, I have that. But let me tell you, if you do have it, it will show. You guys hear me on that? If you do have it, you cannot hide the working of the Spirit of God. We can quench, we can fall, we can sin. But it literally means that if the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you, taking up residence, the other verse for this it says, know you not that your body is the temple, it's the house, it's the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Because he owns the deed and the keys to your life, he takes possession of your life. And he begins to change you. And again, I'm not going to preach, but when you have people that claim to be saved and there is no change in their life, I am not here to judge, but I'm telling you that there should be fruit, there should be conviction, there should be peace. And when people get upset, say, I I already told you I'm saved, get off my back. I'm like, okay, okay. Where's the Spirit of God in that? (laughs) Something is wrong. But you now belong to God. The Bible says that we're sealed by the Spirit of God. The presence of God inside of us does not leave. It says, who has sealed us. And give us this earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Because you are the temple of God, you have the constant presence of God with you. You have the power of God in you. Say, when God's calling you to do something, don't step back and say, I could never do that. Oh, you're right, you couldn't do that. But he can, working through you. You have the conviction of God in you. You have the comfort of God in you. You have the peace of God in you. Let me explain what this looks like, okay? Let's, Let's... Let's watch this in action. So we have all these things that we described. The Spirit of God convicts you, opens your eyes, pulls you to Christ. You receive Jesus Christ. He baptizes you in the Spirit of God. You come alive. You're dead, and you're alive in Christ. But what does the Holy Spirit do in your personal life? See, the Holy Spirit then equips us. We talk about spiritual gifts. If you start coming to Fellowship Baptist Church, you take a spiritual gifts test. We want to know what the Spirit of God is doing and equipping inside of your life. Now, we're all different. We have different spiritual gifts. But I'll tell you, nobody is here by accident. Nobody's going to sit here and say, I have no part or I'm not like so-and-so. You might not be like so-and-so. But you are a tool of God called, saved, sanctified, regenerated for a purpose. For a purpose. The Spirit of God equips us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 explains that. The Holy Spirit guides us. Now, let, let me show you. When, when people are constantly getting in trouble, you cannot do that as a Christian without quenching the Spirit of God. And I'll explain that when we get to that here in a minute. But it says, How be it? When the Spirit of truth, which is what is right, is come, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. Have, have any of you ever just prayed about something and watched God guide you into the right position? I just, I, I've told you guys the story of my personal life of so many illustrations of this, but when we were selling our house and we were trying to buy our next house, I mean, 
there were, there were so many things that we just, we, we, we just decided to pull the house off the market because they said you're going to lose all this money. We prayed about it. We were asking God, and then we met with our realtor, and she was like, there's just no way that you're going to get out of your house what you were asking for and into a house for what you're saying you want to spend. And we were just saying, well, we know, but we're just asking God to do that. We, God did exceedingly abundantly above all those things for us. And I've told the story to you guys before. And you say, how is that? God, God guides us when we're sensitive to the Spirit of God. He, he tugs on our hearts. He opens things. He closes things off. If you're not walking in the Spirit, that's how you constantly get in trouble. And I say that if you're dating, if you have a job, if you're making transitions, if you're praying about ministry, whatever it is, the Spirit of God is your guide. We don't have to live in trouble all the time. The Spirit of God convicts us. I know I pointed this out for salvation, but let me show you this when it comes to your everyday life. He said he will reprove the world of sin. The presence of the Spirit of God in a church will convict the lost. But when he comes to live inside of me, when I, when I do something wrong, and I don't have to give you guys illustrations because you've got plenty of your own. <laughs> he will convict you. Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth before talking to somebody? And the Spirit of God literally like pulls you and like pulls you back to like to apologize to whatever. We've all done it. And people say, I wouldn't have said that. You don't understand. I've been bought with a price. I, I therefore glorify my God in my body, which belongs to him. And, and there, there's that voice, that, that light inside of me that pulls us to do that. Because let me remind you of something. His name is not just called spirit. Can anybody Holy. plug in the first part? Holy. Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, which literally means you are called to be holy because the Bible says, for he is holy. We're going to touch a little bit as we talk right now about why we don't see the Spirit of God working in churches today. Well, why don't we don't see the anointing of God on preachers and pastors and ministries and things, and why you can see thousands of churches in America close their doors? When we begin to get away from the Word of God and we begin to do our own thing, we are quenching the Word of God because the guide inside me is the Spirit of truth. It's not that God has forsaken us. It's It's the fact that we're forsaking truth and righteousness. And that has become where you start talking about that which is right and that which is holy and that which is of God. People will label you as old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned. It's biblical. And just so you know that if you want to see the the Spirit of God working inside of you, He's not calling to a life of perfection. Well, that's only Jesus, okay? But we are called to be holy because it's written, Be holy for I am holy. He lives in you. The Spirit of God will not ignore sin. The Spirit of God will convict you of sin. It will draw our attention to what is wrong. The Spirit of God changes us. We, we call this sanctification. The word sanctification means purification or holiness. The, to sanctify literally means to set it apart. God is going to renovate you from the inside out when you get saved. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the spirits. Okay, see what God does? And I've given this illustration when I've preached on this before. It's, it's kind of like when you buy a house and you walk in there and I'm like, that color is going to go. Those curtains are going to go. You know, you start going through 
that tile, that linoleum, that, you know, whatever, you begin to renovate it and tear out what shouldn't go and put in what should be according to who owns the house. You say, well, my grandparents bought that. We love that paint. Well, they don't live here anymore. I bought this house. I pay the mortgage. But when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of your, your life, he tells you, you now belong to me. And that bad attitude, it's got to go. And that bitterness, it's got to go. And God begins to renovate you. It's called sanctification. Now, it's not instantaneous. I wish it was. He that began a good work in you will continue it. He doesn't stop. He never stops working. He's always working in every one of us. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Because I tell you, this is important. There is a spiritual war in conflict between our flesh and the Spirit. I, I, I wish there wasn't. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's, it's a perfect God living in an imperfect vessel. And, and it's the problem that we all have. And it's so important for us to understand the struggle that we have. And the Bible explains it. He says, I, I, I bought you, I love you, I sanctified you, I stepped into your life, control you, I, 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 I pull the strings to the flags that say, don't do that, I, 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 I turn on the lights, I do all these things. For the, but the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's this tug of war. And these are contrary one to the other, so that we cannot do the things that we would. I, I think we could all testify that we feel this every day. You know, it's like, I'm going to memorize every verse. And then, then we get lazy, we get frustrated. We go to bed, we forget about it, we keep that little card in our pocket, then it goes through the washer and we just give up on it. It's in the Bible too, guys. You just don't need it just in the little card. It's in the Bible. But our, our, it's constant, this flesh. If, if you don't understand the struggle of it, just try to fast for a day, okay? Just fast. You think your flesh is not in control? By the way, that is one of the spiritual disciplines that God's given us to control the flesh, you think the Spirit of God's in control? God, today I'm just going to not eat and I'm going to pray. By, the, by lunchtime, you think you're dying. You're not dying. Nobody in America is dying of starvation. I can promise you that when it comes to things like this. It says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, I, I'm going to give you an answer. He said, this is the thing that you have to do. You have to walk in the flesh. Now, the walk... It's just a metaphor. It's a comparison describing daily living. The Bible is just explaining how for us to live out the things of the Spirit of God. He says, if he's saying, let us walk in the flesh, that literally means this. As everything that we're talking about, conviction, you have to respond to walking in the, walking in the Spirit is literally this. When God says, stop right now and pray, do you know what you do? You stop right then and pray. Right. When you're watching something, the Spirit of God whispers and says, you should not be watching this. You change the channel. When the Spirit of God whispers to you and says that you need to start reading your Bible and, and, and going to bed earlier so you can get up earlier to do that, it's, it's, it's a fight against the Spirit and the flesh. But the question is, which one's going to win? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you which one's going to win. It's going to be which one ever one you feed the most. Do you know why I'm so thankful to see so many faces in this room and during the summer on a Wednesday night? You know why we're feeding our spirit? That's right. 
I, I want the Spirit of God to work in my heart and mind. I want it to stir us up. I, I, I want to make us better. I, I, want to, I want to be the church that when we preach on Sunday that people are saved and lives are changed. I, I want the Spirit of God to be working our hearts tonight as we pray and, and that the anointing falls on the Spirit uh, in that camp four hours away in Indiana as the teens go forward at the altar at the church tonight. I just want to see God work. If we live in the Spirit, we will also walk in the Spirit. We can be sealed and saved by God, but still live a life of resisting the leading of the Spirit of God because we live in the flesh, and it's a constant battle between the two. We end up doing that which is right in our own eyes. We justify sins. We say things like, Everybody does it, and what's it matter, and that's so old-fashioned, and, 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 and all these other things. And this is what happens. It says in the next verse, in 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. This is what happens. Uh, you, 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 I, I raised my kids in church. If they walk in the flesh, don't be surprised these things are coming. If you've been raised in church, mom and dad, grandparents, leaders in here, this is just the works of the flesh. It's adultery and fornication, uncleanness, wrath, hatred, strife, heresies. It's all just works of the flesh. You don't have to be a bad person. You just have to be a person. Because those are just the works of the flesh. Remember, the Spirit of God will convict us. And that's why it is so important that we do church. And we have altar calls. And we take time to pray because don't quench the Spirit of God. So what that verse says, that the word quench means to exhaust uh, or extinguish, to put out, to quench. When the Spirit of God, it, it, there's two ways. We can quench the Spirit of God when we, uh, when we resist, um, when he's trying to convict us and change us. But let me tell you, th that Holy Spirit of God wants to burn a fire in your soul. You, you know how we sometimes will say, man, that, that Christian, that new Christian is so on fire for God. That, that's what that's talking about. It's talking about the Spirit of God working inside of their life. It says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Do you, do you understand that idea of crucify? Literally means to, to put to death. Again, perfect illustration of that is just try fasting tomorrow. Crucify your flesh. You know what you're constantly telling your flesh? Those words that it hates to hear. No. Man, I, never mind, no, I don't have time. I don't have time for a story. Let's keep going. <laughs> God strengthens us to stand against the flesh and temptation. God, the Spirit of God, works in our lives to do what your flesh cannot. L let me give you an illustration of this, of, of talking about how to build that up, talking about how to build the Spirit. Okay, it, it says, um, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. C can I explain some of these things? This is the evidence. When walking in the Spirit of God, and you're walking in unity, and you're submitting yourself, and you're feeding the Spirit, and you're obeying the Spirit, you're, you're doing all these things that we know to do, that, that God's just simply called us to do, like what we're doing right now, there's the evidence of the Spirit of God that's going to be, your, your life is going to be fruitful. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. Have you ever heard people teach that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Read it, read it again. For the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is. This is what you get. It's almost like we think that we're shopping in the, the fruit department, vegetable department at Kroger, and like, 
Well, God gave me goodness, but he didn't give me any patience. No, if you have the Spirit of God, he gave you one fruit. It is, is the evidence of the Spirit of God inside of you. It's all, these are all things that the Spirit of God does. And I love the passage that kind of, uh, we'll get into this, but let, let me go back to Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's why we memorize Scripture. That's why we're learning the books of the Bible. That's why we're, we're sitting at tables tonight with our Bibles open, our pens. You know what we're doing? We're delighting. Lord, speak to me. Fill my heart and mind with the Spirit of God, with the things of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In His law that He meditate day and night. Let me tell you guys, the practice of what you're doing with those little cards that are in your pocket that you're walking around memorizing, that's what that's talking about. Filling your heart and mind with these things. And he shall be like a tree. It's another comparison, okay? Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know what he's talking about? When you're tapped into the water, when you're tapped into the word, when you're tapped into church and the things that God's given us, the fruit of God begins to grow in our lives. Let's break it down and we'll close with this. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is caring, compassion for others. It, it is not man's love that is inside of you. It is agape love, which is God's love, which is an unconditional love. It is a love that goes beyond the limits of what you would typically and normally do. Say, I don't have the patience for kids. Maybe before you, you got saved and all of a sudden God puts a heart inside of you to, to reach homeless people that you never had a heart for or to teach kids or to sign up to help with Bible school and all these things. That, that is a love that comes from God. There's joy. This is not typical joy that you get because you got a raise or a bonus, okay? This, this is an inner joy that's present all the time. This is the work of God that changes you from the inside out to give you the spirit of delight in God. This is the opposite of the spirit of suicide and depression. This is the joy of the Lord. The Bible talks about giving us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. That is that calm that comes into your life, that calm delight, that inner rest that comes from God. Not saying that you never have problems. Trust me, we all have problems in here. But it's that calmness. It's the hand of God that rests upon your heart and your mind as you go through those problems. Long-suffering. Let's just be honest. How many of you struggle with this one? Raise your hands. Okay. More hands should be going up right now. I know that. Long-suffering means to suffer long. To put up with things. And, and let me tell you, we struggle with this. Especially when we hit uh, June and the world goes rainbow. Okay? We're just like, we walk around all bitter and mad. And I'm not saying that we, deal, we, we turn our heads against sin, but let me, for, let me remind you that those people need Jesus. Yeah. They need Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus went out of his way to help those people that were trapped in sin. And this relates to your attitude towards others. The fact that you, God will give you a long-spiritedness, the, the ability to deal with issues. There's gentleness. It means kindness or respect for others. It's an outward action of love. It's, it's a social virtue that God gives us to be able to do things in kindness and express it in ways that you normally would not do. You say, what does this look like? Let, just be part of the summer series as we talk through Mark and talk about Jesus. Because every one of these things, if you want to know what it looks like in action, just follow Jesus. Goodness, a love for the things that are right and true. And faith 
is a dependency on God or a regular dependency on God. It, it, that faith is, uh, is another word or the description of faithfulness, not just the faith that you have. Okay, It's not just that I believe in God, but it's a living out consistently faith in God. It keeps you committed to things that you know to be right. It is the fruit of the Spirit that will help you live out that marriage of 50 and 60 years, which is the concept that's being lost in our world today. Meekness, humility, and graciousness. This is self-denial. This is the opposite of pride. Literally saying, it's not about me, it's all about God. I must decrease, which is not understood in our world today. We are a selfie generation that I'm, I'm going to post a picture and I want you to like it. That, that, that's the world that we live in. Meekness was Jesus walking into the room, taking off his robe and washing their feet. There's a difference. There's temperance, self-control, self-discipline. You say, I can't control my anger. This is how somebody can get saved and their wife come back and say to them later, I, I, my husband's a different person today. Not because of you, all because of Jesus. Amen. When you get saved, you have the Spirit of God that comes and lives inside of your life and you will not be the same. 